Hi, welcome to our podcast. I'm Sarah. And I'm Annalise. This is our very own podcast, By Youth, For Youth. You might have seen us on this thing called church, where we were with David, just like we are now. So, David, you're our senior pastor here at Davidson United Methodist Church, and you've been for about a year now? About a year, yep. The senior pastor for about a year. Started in April of 2021. Yeah, and how did you kind of become a pastor? How did I become a pastor? So, well, um, I was always involved in the life of the church. Like from an early age, my family was always at church. We, uh, my parents served the church in a lot of different ways. My mom still sings in the choir, and uh, my dad did all kinds of other things, was an usher and a bunch of committees. And um, so I grew up in the church and um, had a youth director at the church that I grew up in who, when I was about 17 years old, said, hey, have you ever thought about maybe serving the church in some way? And um, that's all he ever said. He never asked me again. He just kind of planted that seed, and that sort of got the ball rolling and me thinking about it. Maybe this is something that I could do or would want to do. Yeah. Yeah. So were you raised Methodist then? I was raised United Methodist, yep, um, uh, my whole life. All of my ancestors, I've said this in worship before in sermons, um, all, of, all of my family were um, Quaker, and um, my great-grandfather, Carl, who I'm named after, that's my middle name, um, my great-grandfather, Carl, married a, um, he was Quaker, and his first wife died, and he married uh, again later in life, and his second wife was a Methodist school teacher. And um, she drug him to the Methodist church. And so uh, that's how we ended up being United Methodist. Um, even though I have that long tradition and history in the Quaker church uh, as well. Yeah. And was it always your plan to kind of become a pastor once you kind of took that path? Yeah, so I grew up on... a. Um, uh, on a farm in Randolph County, North Carolina, and um, when I went away to college to NC State, I thought I was going to do something agriculture-related because that was sort of the family business. And um, but that remember that that youth guy who asked me about um, the possibility of maybe working in the church mm-hmm. someday. That sort of was ringing in my ear and kind of in my heart and on my mind. And um, so, but it was never a plan to become a pastor. Like, that was not the plan. I was <laughs> going to do something else. And, um, uh, but by my senior year in college, um, I, I just decided I would apply to seminary. I was going to go to grad school and try to um, do something, maybe get a Ph.D. and teach. And I thought, well, I can go to seminary and, and then to grad school and get a Ph.D. and teach. So I'll try that. And um, got in, really loved it, loved the academics of it at Duke and then had the opportunity to serve a little church part-time and found out that I really actually liked that too and um, just never looked back. I thought, well, this is really kind of where I belong. That's my calling. Yeah. So it wasn't the plan, but it was a calling. It was God's plan, but not necessarily my plan. Yeah. Yeah. When exactly were you ordained? So I was ordained, um, I have to think about this because I'll get the dates <laughs> wrong. Um, I was ordained, uh, this w- we did ordinations a little differently back when I was ordained. It's been uh, that long ago. Um, I was ordained a deacon um, uh, in 1993. 
three, and then I was ordained an elder in um, 1996. So I've been fully ordained as a pastor in the Methodist Church since 1996. So longer yeah. than we've been alive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Actually, 1994. So yeah, 1994. I'm two years off. So 1994. Yes, longer than, you, than you've been alive. <laughs> Thank you for pointing that out. And no problem. <laughs> I really appreciate that. Yeah. Um, so was there anything really holding you back from becoming a pastor? Like when you started going and decided you kind of wanted to go down this path, yeah. did th- was there anything like holding you back? Yeah, I, I hated the idea of getting up in front of people and talking. that's kind of a deal breaker (laughs) yeah it is sort of a deal breaker right yeah I'm an introvert um sort of by nature I like smaller groups and fewer people and um so the idea of being in front of a crowd is was just like I don't really do not want to do that like being in a classroom teaching that that's kind of one thing because it's a smaller group and you're it's more intimate um but preaching really was like I do not want to do that um but then I actually found out after doing it, the more I did it, the more I felt at home, and the more I felt like, oh, this is kind of a place I feel really comfortable in an odd sort of way. Um, so um, I enjoy it. I love preaching now. It's, more, it's probably my favorite thing about ministry um, is getting to talk with folks on a Sunday morning. Yeah. And the fact that they show up and listen, which is remarkable. <laughs> that anyone would get out of bed and come to hear somebody talk. Yeah. So it's pretty it's pretty amazing. Yeah, that is crazy. Yeah. Um so what was it like for you to become a pastor? Like, like the process to yeah. becoming a pastor? Yeah. Yeah. So uh when I went through the process you um you first became a candidate for ministry. That's what they called us. And it, that meant that you went and talked to your local church pastor and you told him or her, you thought, maybe I want to do this. I'm feeling a call to ministry, to the, past, to the ministry of a pastor. And um, you do some candidacy studies with them, which is kind of just a simple one-on-one exploration of, here's kind of what it's like being a pastor. Here's what your gifts are. Do they match up? Is this really something you want to explore further? So once you become a candidate, you kind of do that initial exploration. Then there are a lot of steps, including seminary, which is three years. Um, And all along, you check in with with, uh, the district superintendent and the district office and others who kind of have oversight of your life at that point. And um, you eventually, um, well, I did it during seminary. Now you do this after seminary. But when I came through, um, before I was ordained a deacon, you write a whole bunch of papers. Um, You write and you answer all these theological questions. You uh, write and preach a sermon, and then you write some other papers about your call and the disciplined life that you lead, um, and then people interview you. They talk to you about all of that. Kevin, your dad's on the board of ordained ministry yeah, right now. Yeah, yeah. That's that group that does that. And um, they decide, yeah, we think you could. So, in, so a call in the Methodist church is twofold. It's both the inward call that the person experiences and the outward call of the church. In other words, I don't, when you're a United Methodist pastor, you don't get to just stand up and say, I'm going to be a pastor now. The church, you can say that, but mm-hmm. the church gets a voice to say, we think you actually have the gifts and the ability to be a pastor. So that's what that process is for. So I did that. I was ordained a deacon, and you had a provisional or probationary period. Sort of, You were sort of on trial, kind of like a doctor who's doing a residency. Yeah. Um, 
and you write some more papers and another sermon and get interviewed again, and then you're finally ordained. And the whole process can take like seven to nine years from start to finish. Oh, wow. It's long. I do remember my dad going through that a little bit when I was younger. I remember I went to his ordination in Junalosco when I was like maybe six or seven, Mm -hmm. and it was very late at night. That's all (laughs) I remember. I was... It's not a long happy. service, <laughs> yeah. and it's hot, and yeah, yeah lots of people. It's a beautiful <laughs> service, though, but yeah, it's a long, it is a long process. Um, yeah. But it should be, I don't know that it needs to be that long. Like, I, the denomination is always in conversation about how long the process should be and what should be included. But it's a, it's a really big responsibility. You're entrusting people's lives to a person, and we want to make sure that, you know, that we're doing our due diligence to put good people in charge of people's yeah. spirits. Yeah, for right? sure. Yeah. And not just some crazy person. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so y- you have kids and you kind of raise them in the church, mm-hmm. just kind of like you were, you're a pastor. Um, you have pastor kids. We, our parents are staff. Um, your parents staff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, you're a PK and you're uh, an SK. Staff kid. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Um, yeah, what was that like, raising PKs? Oh, <laughs> you, I think you, maybe you should ask them. <laughs> what that was like. They might give you a different answer than I will give you. But uh, so we do have three, well, they're young adults now. They're, um, Salem will, is uh, 26 and Abby is 24, you're 25 now, and Eli is 20. Um, and um, they, as you can imagine, because you guys do it, they were at church a lot because uh, yeah. I was at church a lot. And um, I, Kim and I tried really, my wife Kim and I tried really hard to make church not about what I did for a profession. So that we didn't, when we were doing things at the church and when we were there at, you know, a Thursday night, Monday, Thursday service, or we were there early on a Sunday morning or at youth on Sunday evenings, we tried really hard not to make that about the fact that I was a pastor. We tried to, we were really clear about, we would do all of these things even if I wasn't a pastor because yeah. we're a Christian. Mm-hmm. So we're here because we're Christians and follow Jesus, not because I'm a pastor. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't know how much my kids would tell you they all bought that all the time <laughs> as a reason, but, um, but we tried really hard to do that and to give them their own space to say, just because you're a PK doesn't mean you have to be a certain way. You don't have to be any more or less active than a normal kid in the church, and you need to find your own path, right? You need to explore the church, figure out what your gifts are, do the things in the church that bring you joy, and don't worry about my job. Yeah. Um, yeah. So mm-hmm. thankfully, they all, um, they, none of them hate the church, <laughs> which is a good thing. Um, they, they still are connected to the church in meaningful ways, and they have their own life of faith, and we're really grateful for that. Yeah. yeah. But you should ask them someday. <laughs> They'll give you a more interesting answer, I'm sure. It was hard. I know there were days and times it was really hard because um, um, you are a bit in a fishbowl. People sort of watch your mm-hmm. – your life is very public. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Did you have – have you had any, like, really weird experiences as a pastor? Like, <laughs> what are w- yeah. some of the weirdest things yeah. that have happened? I have had some weird experiences. Um, some of them we cannot talk about because they're <laughs> confidential, and I promised people I would never violate their confidence. But one time at a funeral, I was called, um, 
what did this guy call me? He told me I was the spawn of Satan and a false prophet. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Oh. oh. The, yeah, I had done the funeral in, in the, like the church service part of the funeral, and then we had gone to the graveside to do the burial. And after the graveside, when I was walking to my car, he told me that. Because I had said nice things about the person that had died, and he didn't like the person who had died. So Why was he at the why, funeral? Yeah, why was he at the know. funeral? It was a family member. Funerals uh, bring out the best and the worst in people because mm-hmm. grief is, you know, hard. But, um, yeah, it was crazy. Yeah, I was like, well, good, good to know. I um, hope you have a nice day. And I got my car <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> drove off. Oh, jeez. Yeah. That's yeah. fascinating. It was weird. <laughs> yep. Yeah, that's a, that's a weird experience. And another, uh, and on a... Um, uh, church uh, trip to Israel once, uh, Kim and I were uh, quarantined and taken to a room and interrogated by the Israeli um, Defense um, Department because they wanted to know where we had come from and why we were there and why we were getting on the plane. And um, like, so about 45 minutes in, the, um, in this little room in the back, they were trying to figure out who we were. And um, eventually they let us go and we got on the plane and came home. That was fun. Wow. <laughs> that, that's, just, that's crazy. Wow. Yeah. Good thing you got home. <laughs> yeah, it was a good thing I got home. Then I'm not in some Israeli jail yeah. right now. <laughs> yeah. So do you take a lot of trips like that? Um, um, I have over the years, mission trips. And I've been to Israel a few times, um, to England, and done, uh, did, I've done the Wesley Heritage Tour a few times with church members. Um, mission trips to Central America and South America and all over the U.S., so, yeah, those are always fun. Those yeah. are great. Bo- you guys do trips with the church, and yeah. they're great bonding experiences. Yeah, yeah they definitely. really are. Yeah, those are probably some of the moments when it's like you really see what's going on. Mm. Get feel to, connected. Yeah, feel yeah. connected to God. And get that. to know people, bond, mm-hmm. and yeah. build relationships. Get yeah. on each other's nerves. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So would you say, like, you've had, like, a moment where, like, you kind of, clicked and like you knew like this is what you wanted to do like Hmm. this is like you knew when God kind of like you know saved you or all that yeah so I think I've had moments like you know some people have um you know Paul had the the Damascus Damascus Road lightning bolt kind of experience um yeah and um, some people have that they they will talk about their life of faith in that way mine has been more sort of a uh, Eugene Peterson has a phrase that he uses. He's an author. Um, who, I don't know if you know the message translation of scripture, but he's mm-hmm. the one who did did the message. Um, he has a phrase called, he said, he talks about the Christian life as a long obedience in the same direction. And so for me, it's been more, now the direction hasn't been a perfectly straight line, right? I've had my little curves and turns and ups and downs, but it's been generally in the same direction. And my my journey has been more of that more of just God's constant presence and care over the years, over the course of my life, sometimes more pre- feeling more present and connected, and sometimes feeling less present and less connected, like everybody else. Um, but I would say quite often, um, Sarah, on a Sunday morning, uh, in the context of worship, um, I'll get the overwhelming sense or feeling like that this is where I belong, like this is where I'm supposed to be. It doesn't happen every week. You know, <laughs> some Sundays you're tired and you're thinking about other things and stuff happens. But, but quite often in worship, particularly for me with music and preaching, um, don't tell yeah, you that. Yeah, we, we know a lot but, about that. Yeah, but with the music, uh, you know, I, that just resonates with my spirit. 
um, Augustine says if you've those who've uh, those who sing pray twice. So um, I've always liked I kind of like that idea. Yeah. Yeah. What else you guys want to know? <laughs> um, do you have any pets? Oh, <laughs> uh, we did have pets. We've had two cats over the years. We had Augustine and Samson, and um, both are no longer with us. They were great. They were like Labrador retrievers in cats' bodies. They were weird cats, like <laughs> had personalities and would hang out with you and sit with you, and they were weird cats, but they were great. Um, and then our, our most recent pet was uh, Cookie. He was a Jack Russell Terrier, and he sadly died last year. We had to, he was 16, and we had to, had to make the hard decision to let him go. So right now, Kim and I, every, every now and then, we'll kind of look at each other and say, well, are we ready? We're ready to add another, you know, furry friend to our house. (laughs) And right now we kind of enjoy the freedom of not having a furry friend, but we also miss them. Our kids have, Salem and Abby have pets. Abby has a cat named Phineas, and um, he's a mess, and he gets to come over every now and then and visit. And um, Salem and her husband, McCann, have two gigantic German shepherds, Kona and Kaiser. Yeah, they're like 100 pounds each. They're huge. Yeah, so you get to... You get to see the fun part of them. But yeah, you don't have we to take do. care of them. That's right. They're like grandkids. They yeah. come over, we have fun, we send them home. Yeah. Somebody else worries about the food and the cleaning up and the fur. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. Cat person. <laughs> Are you guys a cat? I know you have. I have two cats. Yeah. She has a cat and a dog. I have 75% of a cat. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Missing a leg, but that's okay. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, poor kitty. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're so um. mean to her. <laughs> um. So kind of back to um, holding you back from kind of becoming a pastor because like you've had you had those moments where like it's clicked for you and we're kind of still young. We don't like know exactly how like, you know, when that's happened. I mean, I haven't really had I think trips are really um, inspiring for Mm -hmm. that and Mm -hmm. really eye opening with all that stuff. Yeah, I would Um, agree. Yeah, but I don't. I don't know. I don't. What do you kind of look for with that? Like, how do you know? <laughs> how do you know? It's kind of a hard question. It's not yeah. really an answer to, but. Yeah. How do you know you're called to this? Yeah. Or how, yeah. Um, yeah, it's, uh, I think different people know in different ways. Um, I think, um, so there, well, one, I, other people saw what I was feeling. So when I expressed, you know, to outwardly to folks in the church or to my pastor, I think God might be calling me to do something in the church. I didn't know what. I just thought something professionally in the church. Other people said, yes, we see those gifts in you. We think maybe that you could do that. They didn't say, oh, no, that would be a bad idea, you know. <laughs> and, and if they had, I should have listened to that, right, because maybe, maybe I was not hearing clearly what God was saying. Um, so other people affirm your call, and if they do, maybe you should pay attention to it a little more. Um, I, um, I had some fruitfulness in my ministry. Like I was, I was doing things in the church, and it was bearing fruit for the life of the church, and that seemed to be a good thing. Like, hey, maybe God is actually using me to, to do something good um, for, for the church. And then it was just some of it was kind of an... Um, uh, a head and heart um, sort of awareness that this was right, that it was the right place. This is where I belonged. It was how my, it was what I was created to do and be. 
And um, I, think, um, I think everyone has a calling. Everyone has a vocation. Um, that calling or vocation is not always to serve the church. So your calling might be to teach school. It might be to be a doctor. It could be to be um, you know, a financial person. It could be any number of things. Um, and um, it might not be the way that you make money. Like some people have a job and they do that to earn an income. And then their calling is coaching youth soccer. Right? And they don't get paid for that, but that's what they love. That's their passion. That's where they connect with the needs of the world, and they help people be better. Um, but then they have a job that pays the bills. And, you know, I just happen to be, and your dad and, uh, is ha- and your mom, too, maybe, is um, we're lucky enough that we get paid for our calling. Right? Mm-hmm. We get both. Um, some people do, and some people don't. But, but I think you guys will have a calling in life. You'll know. Uh, Frederick Beatner says um, something like, um, your call is where the world's greatest needs and your your greatest passion intersect. And wherever that intersection is, that's your call. So if the world's greatest need is health care and your greatest passion is science and medicine, then maybe that's your call. For me, it's the world's, I think one of the world's greatest needs is to be able to connect with the God that loves them. And my passion is around helping people do that. And so here I, here I am. Yeah, that's yeah. awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a hard thing to discern. It took a long time. I mean, it's not something that happens overnight mm-hmm. um, for most people. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, that's awesome. We'll definitely look for that more because, like, yeah. we're, well, I mean, we still haven't, you know. You have time. Uh, yeah. We, yeah. We, we, we High school, college. Yeah. Very. <laughs> yeah. College. Then it's, it's tricky because you have to kind of plan everything now to plan everything ahead. But you, do. Mm-hmm. you guys have the unfair. Um, in some ways disadvantage of uh, when I was younger, when I was your age, you, we didn't think, I mean, we, we, we were encouraged to get earn good grades in school and to be a good student and all that stuff, but we didn't have to plan out um, the next five to seven years of our life the way you guys are yeah. encouraged, almost required to do if you want to do certain things. Mm-hmm. We had much more freedom to explore and kind of grow into things. Um, it's I don't think it's a it's not necessarily healthy that you guys are sort of pushed to make decisions yeah really early on it's stressful it is stressful and then you kind of feel locked in like once yeah. you've decided right. yeah and I I, I mean well, I don't know think that I'll you're stick not to lock, anything. locked in it's never too late to try something new or go in a different direction yeah I know it may feel like it but I promise you um, it's not yeah yeah I I've known people. 40, 50, 60 years old decides, you know what? I'm going to change com- directions completely and go do something different. And they do, and they're really happy. And uh, they get to spend 20 years of their life doing that really fun and amazing thing. So it's never too late. Yeah, that's good to know. <laughs> yeah. It's like that one quote. I don't remember who said it. Recognize when you're not happy and then have the bravery to change. I don't yeah. know. I don't know if that's yeah. correct. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard. Definitely I don't know who said it. It gets harder as you get older because you have more responsibilities, especially mm-hmm. if you end up having family and bills and kids mm-hmm. and you know it's harder to make those changes when you have those responsibilities but it's still not impossible yeah so li- pray pray listen to god be in a strong christian community let other folks guide you and offer their wisdom and um and do a lot of listening and ask good questions and it'll the the quakers talk about the um a way opening up and um rather than forcing or creating a way Sometimes you do that too, but um, the Quaker way is more um, 
silent, reflective, and they say as you do that and as you discern God's call in your life, the way will open. And um, I think that's true. That's kind of how it's happened for me. The way is sort of opened, and here I am. Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, it was great getting to know you today. Thank you for coming on our podcast, our very first one. Thanks for having me. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, it was great getting to know, like, hear from your experience as a PK. Thanks, Anna Liz. It's (laughs) It's great to be with you. Yeah. And thank you for watching today, and I hope you come back and watch our later episodes, which will come out once a month.